0: Welcome to Talking Health Tech. My name is Peter Birch, and this is a podcast of conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. With me today is Dr. Kelly Teagle. She's a medical doctor and the founder of WellFem, Australia's first dedicated telehealth menopause service to help women access expert menopause care from wherever they live. Kelly also works as a GP in Canberra, writes blog articles, and is a woman's health speaker. Hey Kelly, how are you doing?
1: I'm really well. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for inviting me on.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, good to have you and down in the nation's capital in the Canberra. That's where it all happens.
1: Absolutely. Well, we hope so anyway.
0: (laughs) Cool, cool, cool. All right. Really keen to learn a bit more about what you do and WellFem in particular. So let's kick it off. WellFem, tell us what is it, who's it for and what problem does it solve?
1: Right, good question. Well, you may have noticed this yourself, but about half the world is actually female. And each of us that is female is pre programmed to reach menopause at a certain point, which is where we run out of eggs, of course. About 80% of women will experience quite unpleasant symptoms associated with the menopause. And 20% of those women get it very severely, in fact, um, to the moderate severe level. But the sad thing is that only about 20% of them will actually be on any kind of effective treatment. So recognising this, I think the reason why so many women are suffering from bad symptoms and not being treated is that there's a lot of misinformation out there and that there's lack of access to expert care. So WellFM was created to address both of these issues. I want to get good quality, reliable, evidence-based information out about menopause and I also want to provide access to expert care and that's where telehealth comes in
0: okay great so it sounds like there's a service you provide like a telehealth service and also some resources is that what you said
1: yeah yeah information through the blog articles through webinars and all lots of curating of good quality information and making sure people are directed in the right direction But not only that, Peter, also I I think of GPs as being big customers of my service as well, because being a GP myself, I know that we can't all be experts in absolutely everything. And it's very common that we will cross-refer to other GP colleagues who are more expert in certain areas. So I'm hoping to provide that service for other GPs out there who don't have the confidence in treating complex menopause cases that they can actually just send their patients along that they can get some uh you know expert help and then they'll get a report back to them which sort of tells them everything that's going on and what we're doing what the treatments are so just a little bit of extra support for the gps
0: yeah okay really interesting and so tell me a bit more about yourself what's your background you mentioned you're a gp and why is this all important to you
1: I didn't always have a burning desire to be a doctor, funnily enough. Actually, I left home at 17 to join the military. I ran away and joined the military. And it ended up, strangely, being a 20-year career in the military, which I would never have anticipated. I was in all the services, actually. Uh, started out in the Army, uh, was in the Navy for a while, and then went on to land in the Air Force. So, yeah, I've had an interesting career before medicine. I was actually a fighter jet controller in the Air Force and met my ex-husband while I was in the Air Force as well. So did all of that, actually, I went on a posting with my husband and uh, there wasn't any job for me there. So I used that as an opportunity to go and do the GAMSAT exam because I knew that um, the military was sponsoring officers to do medical training. Then I got accepted into study medicine at UQ. The RAF sponsored me to do my medical degree and when I came out I did five years after my internship and residency I did five years as a medical officer in the Air Force. It was at that time that I was doing my GP training part-time, I was having my kids and I was also starting to do some training and work in sexual health and reproductive health and working at family planning. So that was all very interesting. What got me interested in menopause medicine I guess was that About the time I left the Air Force, unfortunately, my marriage was also ending and there was a lot going on for me. Unsurprisingly, I was quite moody. I was irritable. I was sleeping poorly. And honestly, there were times when I really felt like my emotions were just totally out of control. But it wasn't until I started getting some hot flushes as well that I kind of put two and two together and thought, oh, hang on a minute. You know, could this be actually perimenopause? And um, and yes, yeah, so once I got the tested and the tests done, realised what was happening, and got onto some effective treatment, that turned my life around really importantly for me. So it was a really big wake up call to the severe impact that menopausal symptoms can have on people's lives, and how hard it can be for women to actually work out that that's going on with them.
0: Just for those that don't know, I guess there's the other half of the world that either knows a lot or doesn't know that much about menopause. How does it all actually work and what is it and what happens?
1: It's kind of the point where you run out of eggs as a woman. The average age is about 51. Most women will go through the menopause which is actually that point where you've been 12 months without any ovulations or periods. Most of us will go through at, a, at around about 51 which is sort of between the ages of 45 and 55 for most women but 10% of them will still be outside of that range and about 1% of women can go through menopause even before the age of 40 which is um, quite young obviously.
0: Are there many other services like Wellfem available at the moment, like a telehealth menopause clinic available at all?
1: Not really. I've looked around. I looked around quite extensively before I started up Wellfem because it just seemed like such an obvious idea to me that I couldn't believe no one else was doing it. So I've looked around. I've found some models overseas that are quite similar, such as Electra in the US, and there are doctors in Australia who are specialists who do provide services by tele, health especially since COVID's come along but there aren't really any other services like mine that provide dedicated evidence-based telehealth menopause services so quite unique actually and the point of difference you know whilst there's other providers out there that are marketing menopause services Wellfem is the only one that's using strictly evidence-based medicine, providing TGA-approved medications. I'm a GP and that's the basis of my training. That's the basis of how I prescribe and the holistic way I provide care.
0: Interesting. Are there many women who seek treatment for menopause or seek, go to the GP? Because again, obviously not an expert myself, but from just speaking generally, a lot of people speak about menopause as just an inevitability and just something that they've got to put up with. So is that not the case?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We're all going to go through it. All of us ladies are going to go through it at some point. I guess that what it comes down to is If you're experiencing really disruptive, debilitating symptoms, it doesn't have to be that way. It's all about the symptoms. You know, 80% of the women are going to get symptoms and 20% of those will be quite severe. So it's a process. You go into menopause with fairly high levels of reproductive hormones. And then at the end of it all, you're going to have much lower levels of reproductive hormones. But it's not just a nice steady decline. Of course, there's you know all of the chaos that's happening on the way down, and that's what leads to all of the unpleasant symptoms. Out the other side of it, when women have been in menopause for a while, usually their bodies have adapted after a while, and that. The symptoms will start to decline. So the worst of the symptoms is generally perimenopausal, which is those years leading up to and immediately following the menopause. But yeah, there's this perception amongst women that oh well, you know, my mum had to put up with it. Everyone I know is saying that you just have to put up with it. Often they'll go to the GPs and say, "Oh, should I try some HRT? What what shall I do about it?" And sometimes the GP's attitude is, "Oh, it'll be over in a few years. Love, just put up with it." So they're kind of getting these messages always that it's something to be endured rather than something they can actually do something about.
0: Yeah. Hopefully that's given insight to some people who might be in that position and think that it's just something they have to put up with. Is there a common question or a usual theme that's discussed in like with patients or webinars that might be on the mind of listeners that you can talk about?
1: Absolutely. I've been doing a series of webinars this year, actually, because of that, because there were a few key subjects that kept coming up over and over again. And I wanted to get some expert advice from some colleagues of mine who knew a lot about those various things to, to get some extra input as well. So that's where I've been focusing a lot of the content creation, you know, with the blogs and the webinars about those things. There's always a lot of interest about HRT and whether or not it's safe, of course, because a lot of women are, and GPs and doctors alike are under the perception that it's unsafe, that it causes breast cancer, that it's too risky, that that's not on the menu as an option for them.
0: So, And what's, and what's
1: HRT? HRT, sorry, hormonal replacement therapy, often known as MHT these days, menopausal hormone therapy. They keep changing the the terminology, as we do in medicine, just to keep you on your toes. To
0: keep, keep you relevant, yeah.
1: Exactly. So <laughs> HRT is always a biggie. In fact, the first of the webinars I did was um, a bit of myth-busting about HRT. And other subjects that are really popular and common are things like mental health issues, sexual problems, libido, weight, you know, weight gain is a big thing. So these are all themes that women really want information about and really want to know you know, the truth about those things.
0: And I guess doing it in a way of telemedicine or as a telehealth service and with resources there, it's not something that those that might feel uncomfortable about or might not have a good relationship with their usual GP face-to-face wouldn't feel like in a position to have that conversation with them or be so open as to compared to having it as a telehealth consult in the comfort of their home or, or with someone who's specializing with it as well.
1: Yeah, I've actually had in certain situations where we weren't able to conduct a consultation, say by video conference, I've done phone consultations for people. And I remember a woman talking to me quite frankly and openly about her sexual issues. And then at the end of the conversation, sort of she took a breath and went, oh my God, I've never told anybody that before, that I'm so glad that I don't have to look into your face and say that because I wouldn't have been able to tell you those things. So it's really interesting sometimes how just being one step removed from that whole situation, not being their regular GP, they do feel less judged. I don't know exactly, but, you know, it's somebody else. It's like a, a different person to be able to get a different perspective from.
0: Just on the telehealth how are you delivering it? What kind of technology do you have to be able to um, provide the services?
1: That was always a real stumbling block for me. You know, I'm a clinician. I stupidly thought, okay, I've got a service to provide. It's a no-brainer to me that it would be really good to provide this service on telehealth. I'll just get myself some software packages and off I go. I'll be doing telehealth. This was back in 2018, and when I started out and was looking for guidance on what sort of clinical software systems existed to fill the needs and what video conferencing data security I needed and what specifications I needed and how would these systems talk to one another, there was just very, very little information out there. There was not too many people who could give me great guidance. So I sort of cobbled together what I could at the time. Um, So I've been using... Uh, CoView, which turned out to be a great choice. It's a really good system for video conferencing. I also went with a cloud-based, one of the only cloud-based clinical record systems I could get at the time that I could find, which was Medical Director Helix. So I've been going along with that. It's had good points and bad points and limitations. But one of the big fall down points for all of these systems is that they don't talk together. They don't integrate very well. So I've had this problem all along with if my patients make bookings through the CoView system, that those bookings don't automatically pop up in Helix for me and, you know, have everything I need all transferred across as the patient's entering their demographic information and that sort of thing. So there's been a lot of double handling of patient data, which is not great from a data security point of view. You don't want to be having to transcribe things from one system to another manually. Very labor intensive. So yeah, I've had issues. Luckily, I had a conversation since I set up this appointment with you, Peter. I've had a conversation with Grace, who was one of the co-founders for And Health. And uh, she very helpfully said to me, oh, have you heard about Halixie? And I hadn't heard about Halixi. So looking into that, that's looking like it's going to be a way forward for me in terms of taking a lot of the load for the administrative burden that I'm doing at the moment in the process of transferring all of my patient data across to Halixi. And we'll see how that goes. I'm feeling quite hopeful about it
0: it's an interesting topic the whole like the whole reason of moving to cloud within healthcare is to solve what well, one of the big problem like the big reasons is to solve for that problem of the lack of interoperability but I you know we're still so far we're getting there definitely and especially compared to two years ago when you were you know setting your practice up compared to now and more and more like these solutions are speaking to each other and starting to find ways for integration but it very much feels at those early stages and you can see where it's going to be but right now you've got patients to see on a day-to-day so so, you know, you need, need an answer now. And then to that other point too, I'm always fascinated with people's who have taken up one cloud solution, like a practice management systems on the cloud. And then the transfer of data from cloud to cloud is an interesting kind of evolving thing that is different in the old school, day, like back in the day with, you know, transferring from a server-based one to another server-based one, you just pull it out and chuck it in and then away you go. I'm sure there's a few more steps than that. But these days, cloud to cloud with the lack of interoperability in the first place, I'm going to guess you're running into a few problems with that.
1: Yeah, that has not been as straightforward as I anticipated. So we're still looking for a solution there because, you know, it gets exported in one form and it needs to be imported into a different form. And sometimes there's even a third party provider doing that step in between. So it's not going to be smooth, but cloud is absolutely the way to go for a business like mine. I've been a startup as a single trader doctor without any funding or backing. So it's all got to be low cost. It's got to be efficient. It's got to be efficient in terms of labor. And for scalability, I want to be able to hire doctors to work with me, whether they're just doing a session a week or whether they're working full time and they could be living anywhere in Australia. So the system has to be able to be easy for them to tap into from wherever they live. And it needs to be cost effective if you've only got a doctor who's doing one session a week
0: good advice for some of the tech vendors working on those solutions and I know there are other quite a few cloud-based practice management systems available now who will probably be listening to this going oh we could so do that so but anyway that's (laughs)
1: send them my way I'll tell I've got all my lists of um, system requirements that I could never get all the boxes ticked for so I can (laughs) certainly pass those on
0: moving on say with telehealth and with the rebates and everything that's changed this year around medicare that's got to be a good thing from your perspective right with welfare
1: Yeah, look, it's definitely been an up and down year. It's been a bit of a roller coaster with the whole telehealth thing for sure. Um, When I first was arranging this interview with you, I remember there were no telehealth rebates at all for clients of my service at that point but I was very hopeful given you know the way things were headed with COVID and everything that telehealth was going to be more widely adopted which it was luckily we had about four months there I think between April and the end of July when my clients were able to claim Medicare rebates and that was amazing and I'll just to give you an example like so when I first set up well femme. I remember the kids and I would be celebrating if I had one patient in a week. You know, so over that first twelve months, you know, I didn't have a whole lot of uptake. I was struggling with how to get going on marketing and find my groove in terms of where my audience was. But during the four months of the telehealth rebates, I was actually able to see 76 patients only working part-time as I do. And that represented 150% more patients than I'd seen in the whole first year of operation. And only 19 of those patients were actually living in an MM1 allocated urban area. So what we're talking about is the fact that most of those clients were outside central urban areas. I did a total of 127 items billed to Medicare in that time, and the vast majority of those were bulk bills 108 of them. And I also saw 14 concession card holders in that time as well. What that meant was that compared to what I'd been doing before, I got uptake by a whole lot more people who actually wouldn't have been able to access the service normally because they lived outside urban areas, outside specialised care, and also because they couldn't afford private services. I was able to offer offer them bulk billing. So that was fabulous. I deliberately set out with Wellfem to be able to provide services to the more vulnerable women in rural and remote areas who don't have access to that kind of care. So that was good. We had that four months where they could do that. Uptake was good. And then, of course, July 20th came around and then they decided that they were going to limit telehealth rebates to only consultations with a patient's regular GP. And I do understand the reasons for that. Obviously, there were a lot of opportunistic kind of pop-up services that had no interest in long-term patient care coming in on the scene and taking advantage of that. I remember hearing your interview with um, Dr. April Armstrong recently, Peter, and she was expressing the view, particularly of a lot of rural doctors, which was, we don't want those pop-up telehealth services taking away our patients. We need that work and um, they need that quality of care. So I can certainly understand that point of view. Where I'm coming from, I guess, is that my model of care is a subspecialist GP service. And there are a lot of people like me who subspecialise in general practice and I refer my patients to them a lot. So this is something that we can add to their regular GP's care by adding an extra perspective uh, and then working with the patient's GP as I do by providing really detailed reports back to the GPs afterwards to maintain that, that continuity of care and support that continuity of care. So it is really, really important and it's something we're now going to have to push forward to get it back for patients yeah. with these subspecialist GPs.
0: Yeah, I'm definitely an advocate for all those different areas of, like you say, sub-specializing in, in GPs, you know, the travel medicine, skin cancer, women's health, mental health. You know, There's all these things around from a GP's perspective. It's not necessarily, it doesn't need to be referred to a specialist with a, an official referral and then have a long wait time. There are GPs that are just focused in a particular area like yourselves or any other area but it's important then from your side, I would expect to have those good relationships with those family GPs who would become referral partners for you. They've got to see that value of having someone so so focused and specialized in an area because if not for them, you'd have to take out millions of dollars of TV ads and all of this or you know, anything else to be able to try and get that message out you know, straight to the people. But the family GP relationship must be really important.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, so to be honest with you, at the moment, most of the clients that are coming to me is from word of mouth from other clients through particular, say, Facebook groups where women chat amongst themselves and say where they're getting good services or not. So it's getting around that way. In fact, you know, a client of mine mentioned the service on SBS Insight program a couple of months ago, and that led to a tsunami of bookings, which was fabulous. It's a nice problem to have, but I really would value being able to get the message out there to the GP because I really want to be able to support them. I'm also in their position where if I'm struggling to know something about a subject which is required to care for my patient, I want to know a good quality source to be able to refer them on to, someone that I trust to look after them and then to hand them back to me with all the information I need to pick up the ball and care for them ongoing. And that's exactly what I'm striving for with Wellfam. So it, yeah, it's going to be a goal, I suppose, over the next you know 12 to 24 months to really start to foster that relationship, particularly with rural and remote GPs.
0: And I think that I can definitely see from the rural GPs perspective about the concern of pop-up telehealth telemedicine clinics in just wanting to capitalize on a particular situation, being able to have field direct to Medicare. But there's also a lot of benefit that a service such as yours can provide to the GP who is seeing many patients and wanting to provide a quality care across such a broad spectrum. And we all know how difficult the job of the GP can be in having to be a specialist in so many different areas. So like your service would be particularly important to them. You mentioned that one of your focuses over the next 12 to 24 months will be around building those relationships with the GPs. What else should we look forward to and what coming up just to finish off the conversation for Wellfem in the future.
1: I've recently seen some good development in terms of patient numbers coming through and so this is kind of the point for any new small business where you go oh my gosh I'm going to have to scale this business what am I going to do to make it sustainable for the future and to grow it and up to this point I've been able to comfortably get by as a sole trader GP now I'm going to have to recruit other doctors to work with me going to have to get a little bit more professional in the marketing and those aspects of it so it's exciting and challenging and a little bit scary all at the same time. But I really feel like this is a really, really important service that I want to get out there to women and make sure that it exists into the future beyond my ability to do this work. So that requires growing the business and extending it out there and getting other people in who can run it for me in years to come. Yeah, that's a big challenge.
0: It's a good one to have though. Much spread a challenge than the other way, having to work out how to scale down your business. <laughs> so that's a good thing. Kelly, I'll put all the details of WellFam and everything that you do in the blog article for this episode. And anyone that's keen to check out your services can do that via the information we'll put there. Hopefully we'll see the same surge in activity that we saw from the SBS um, thingamajig that got you so many patients before. Maybe that'll be from this podcast as well, but it's it's a valuable service that many of the listeners of this show will no doubt either see value in themselves or know someone that would Kelly good luck with everything and thank you so much for your time
1: thanks very much for inviting me along Peter I really enjoyed it thanks for
0: listening to Talking Tech. my name is Peter
1: Birch make sure you go check out our website for all our
0: resources including this podcast and the largest directory of technology solutions available to
1: Australian healthcare practitioners today until next time I'm out of here